go. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's good, my people? It's Pastor Jay Harris from the Ville Church here. Listen, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this morning for this online sermon. Um, we are going to be in Hebrews 5 today or whatever, and I have an amazing message for you. It's titled Reverence. That's the name of the, the sermon this morning. Um, and we're going to dig into Hebrews, Hebrews 5. We're going to go from verses 1 through 10 in the text today. I'm doing my sermon from outside. I don't know where you're watching from, but I'm in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and the weather is absolutely beautiful out here today so I said you know why don't we come outside and just do this thing or whatever so you might hear some birds chirping or a boat go by or something like that or whatever don't let it throw you off or whatever um, you know what I'm saying but enjoy this good weather with me this morning all right so in your text Hebrews 5 listen this sermon this sermon about reverence right now this is really for people who like if you are struggling right now which there are so many people who are struggling dealing with just the way COVID affects us mentally um, there are people dealing with mental health issues that really need some hope in the middle of it right and and the enemy is at play i think you know this feels like some serious spiritual warfare that i think a lot of people are going through right now and a lot of people i'm talking through with tragedy happening around them people passing um our, our worship leader my brother kevin hubbard whatever he just passed um you know just just a couple months ago and so we're still grieving over that right now and so like when you're in a season like that and when you feel like you're being attacked whether it's people dealing with loss of jobs or just their business is not going the way they want to because the way economy is going it's like there are so many voices that start competing in your head for your attention um trying to really stomp on your faith and your trust in the lord and i want to bring it back to the word of god and what the word of god how it speaks to um suffering right i want to look at jesus and how jesus dealt with suffering right because jesus himself suffered while he was here on earth right so let's get into it we're really going to be inside of 7 through 10, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to start off with verse 1 because I want to read through it because it, it, it's the red carpet onto the main text that we're going to be in, right? So let me read this scripture to you. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor to himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. He was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So let's break it down. Back in the day, the high priest was, he was like a mediator between mankind and God, right? And so in God's holy temple, in his holy place, in the holy of holies, right? Like the, 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 the high priest would enter in with a offering, right? To atone for the people's sins. So he would say, God, this is, we bring this as, as an offering and we are acknowledging that we need repentance and, and our sins cleaned and wiped away, right? But what this text says, it says he's appointed on to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And I want you to catch this next point. It says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward 
since he himself is beset with weakness. And verse 3 says, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. I always tell my people in my church or whatever, number one, they see me repent, they hear me confess sin, I don't preach to them. I'm not boasting about me. I'm just saying what I think is appropriate. If I'm going to, if I was to one day go and be up under the leadership of another pastor and I was to sit in their church, they would have to be somebody that confesses sin also. Like, right? So they, they we, we don't stand on this totem pole and then preach down to the people like you need to get your stuff together. But the Bible says that even his leaders are beset with sin. The high priest is beset with sin. He has the royal honor of coming before God for the sins of the people, but God also has him come give a offering for his own sin. And because he has to give an offering for his own sin, if his heart is postured right to understanding that, then he gives mercy and grace to even the wayward and the lost, because he himself is like, man, I'm only called to this work by the grace of God. That's something for us all to take personally in our life or whatever and live that out. To not forget the gospel that saves us while we are in our trespasses and sin. And that grace is actually a gift from God. So it's not nothing you get cute with. It's like somebody goes like, oh man, you the man, yo, you got this ill car or whatever and stuff. You must be on your grind doing your thing. And you're like, nah, yo, like I actually, somebody gave this to me. I, I, I could never afford this. Somebody gave this to me. The gift of grace is something, and, and mercy and forgiveness, and to be called a child of God is something we can never earn at all. The high priest even has to come before the Lord to repent for his own sin. And because he's fully aware that it caused him to actually have mercy on the wayward and the lost, right? And then the rest of the text, five through six, it goes to point out that Jesus was made high priest by God himself. That's what it tells us. So let's get into our main text today, right? Hebrews 5, 7. I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to rock through it. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. There you go. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So let's get into this thing real quick, right? Let's tackle this first phrase. It says, in the days of his flesh. If you, if you read in the chapter previous to this, Hebrews 4, it talks about how Jesus, even for a certain point of time when he was on earth, that he even made himself lower than the angels. So when Jesus was on earth, sometimes because he was God, and he definitely was God, but his divine nature, right? Where he could have just crushed his enemies in two seconds just by a simple word, he set it aside and the Bible says that he actually dealt with, and I'm gonna read these scriptures a little bit more and get in depth, but he actually dealt with every single temptation that we dealt with. He let himself feel it. That struggle that you feel sometimes when the enemy is trying to pull your, or certain sins that call you and beg for your attention or certain things that spew out of you all the time, anger with a situation or whatever, frustration, maybe it's gossip, all of these things. It says Jesus was actually tempted with all of those things too. So it wasn't like he was just walking around and he just like, oh, I'm, I don't feel any of these things. He felt it. I was reading an article from the Gospel Coalition the other day, right? And it says that, it says, it listed some things Jesus went through. It says he was homeless. His family thought he was crazy. His best friends turned their back on him. 
One of his, one of his, his closest confidence sold him out to be killed for pocket change. He stood face to face with the devil and endured all of his demonic tricks. He dealt with death. He endured gossip and slander. He saw, he, he, he weeped over his friends passing away, right? Like he, he had to deal with the hurt of people dying, right? This is Jesus, the son of God. He was shamed publicly. He endured periods of hunger. He received criticism, right? His theology was mocked. His message was rejected. He, his preaching was critiqued. His disciples didn't even get it. When Jesus, when, when, when the Roman soldiers came to get Jesus and they were going to lead him to his crucifixion, all his, his team, his squad, the disciples, they said, yo, we'll never leave you, B. We got your back till the end. Homie, we ride or die. They all deserted him. Peter even denied even knowing him three times. So he felt all of that. He felt all of that. He felt every single bit of it, right? So when it's talking about in the days of his flesh, it's saying in the days when he was feeling the woes, the hurts, the temptations, the striving of the flesh, going through really, really hard times. And it says what he did, this is practical application for you. If you're like, well, what do I do? It says Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So Jesus himself cried out with loud tears and says to him, talking about God, who was able to save him from death. So Jesus literally felt the threat of death on him. He felt like this world was trying to kill him. And when he felt that, he fell on his knees and said, Lord, please. He came to the one who could only help him, right? Came to the only one who actually had answers. And then this next part, it says, and he was heard because of his reverence. And I want to dance around this word today or whatever, right? Because that hit me, whatever. I'm like, I read it and I'm like, yeah, you know, he went to God. Most definitely, that's the thing to do. But it says he was heard because of his reverence, right? And reverence is like awe, respect, right? It's like when somebody you know who, you know what I'm saying, like, my mom or whatever, I have a certain reverence for her as my, as my parent. She raised me. She took care of me. She's always there for me, right? And I love her and I'm grateful, but I also have a certain level of reverence for her, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, but like, I think sometimes we can get very nonchalant with God and we forget who he actually is, right? So that thing with my mom is about, I remember who she is in the broad, big picture of things. If everything gets crazy and everybody deserts me, Mom Dukes loves me and has shown that. So I have reverence for that. God. I don't know if you can hear all the animals in the background, but he gives them all life. The sun that shines right now, the sun that photosynthesis or whatever, where there's carbon dioxide being breathed out of us and then it feeds the it feeds the plants and then the plants in turn give us back air or whatever, the fishes that jump out of the water that we sit and we eat. God made all of these systems for your benefit and to reveal his glory. But sometimes we let that glory get dim. And so when we're in the middle of the struggle, we don't cry out to God with loud tears and with prayers. We go to something else to satisfy us momentarily or whatever, right? But we don't go to the one who really has the answer. So it's like, after ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself whatever today, like, have you allowed your reverence to get a little loose or whatever? Is it, is it seeping out or whatever, right? Or is it growing? Like, are you growing in awe and gratefulness for God, or like has your reverence gone or whatever, right? It's a question we're allowed to ask as his children. Sanctification. It's not condemnation, it's sanctification. I don't want my reverence to go. 
there's times that it goes. There's times when I simply don't have reverence. It's time when I'm like, God, I don't feel like talking to you. And I don't feel like praying. And I don't feel like hearing a sermon. I don't feel like hearing none of that right now because I'm in the muck right now. And I'd rather sit in it and toil through it and try to figure out in my own brain. In those moments, I've lost the reverence for God because he's truly the only one that has answers. So in the scripture, in the word of God, we see that Jesus models going to his father when the prayers and uh, excuse me, when the heat is on with prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears. He gets messy with it, right? But what, let's, let's talk about the flip side because there's an enemy out here, right? And I preached this sermon a couple months ago called The Roaring Lion. I actually posted a couple weeks ago. It's on our Facebook, on the Ville Church Facebook page or whatever. You can scroll back and find it. It's called The Roaring Lion. And it goes through 1 Peter 5, 8. I want to read this to you and I want to show you something because I want to show you the other thing that happens when, when you're suffering, right? It says, be alert and sober-minded and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for some lion for someone looking for someone to devour. Resist them, stand firm, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I want to focus you on something here. It says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. When you are going through suffering, right? Because the next text says, resist them standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So when you are suffering, the enemy takes advantage of that. And what he is trying to do is he is trying to, the roar he does is trying to pull you away from God. Condemnation, look what you've gotten yourself into. Man, look at you or whatever. You know why this is happening to you. It's happening because you sinned the other day or whatever. You know, because you wilded out or whatever, this and that. Everybody, you know, saying like, I know what you, I know what skeletons you got in your closet. The enemy, the way he roars at the children of God is that he tries to make you lose all from God. He, he, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that, that when we become believers that we, that we are given the Holy Spirit, right? That God himself is puts himself inside of us and makes residence inside of us. And that Holy Spirit is at war against the flesh. So the flesh craves sin. It craves to satisfy only itself at the expense of whoever, at the expense of God's holiness, at the expense of other people, whatever. And then the Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus. It's always looking to glorify God. So the walk of a believer is not this thing where you become a believer and all of a sudden you're just perfect and holier than now. It, it invites you into a war. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, we were completely a slave to it. We're no longer slaves to sin. Sin is still trying to wage war, but ultimately because of what Jesus done on the cross, did on the cross, sin has already been defeated for us. Right? We are going to receive the righteous resume of God because although Jesus was here and he was hit with all of those temptations, his resume is perfect. He never failed. He never sinned. 
but he failed all the temptations. He came out of the 40-day fast or whatever and came into the desert. Satan was throwing curveballs, hardballs at him. You understand? Everything. Yo, listen, man. Just bow down and worship me. I'll give you this whole world and everything. He was offering things or whatever, trying to buy him out, trying to trick him, trying to deceive him. But he couldn't get him. And he never got him. And the Bible says that when he dies on the cross for us, he dies, the wrath that he receives on the cross is from the Father. The wrath, God doesn't just wipe away the sins. They get paid for. It's like if you're inside of a store or whatever and you drop a jar of jelly or whatever, they're going to say, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And they're going to let you go scot-free and you're not going to have to pay anything. You're not even going to have to worry. But somebody's even going to come clean up your mess for you, the mess you made. But the fact of the matter is that jar of jelly caught, caught somebody. somebody. Somebody took the L for it. Somebody has that on their spreadsheet somewhere, how much that jelly costs. So it costs them money. So it's free for you, but it costs them. You understand? And so for us, our sin, the mess we make with our sin, we get off scot-free. We get Jesus' perfect resume. Free of charge. It's a gift from God by grace. But Jesus, he paid the cost. Right? He, he, it's on the spreadsheet. It's on the spreadsheet of the word of God. He, the wrath of God, was released on him. All the wrath for our sin. And in that way, he became our way to salvation. Hope y'all with me so far. So this first Peter 5, 8 is just showing devil, Satan be playing a dirty game. He's looking to take advantage of suffering. And so I'm telling you, saints, don't give in to that. I want you to be aware. I want you to be alert. And I want you to be sober-minded. He's playing a game. And the game is to make you stumble. It's to make you disown God. It's to make you turn your sight from the glory and splendor of our Father who loves us. To something that is just maybe momentarily satisfying, it may feel good for a moment, but it won't hold up, and it sure won't, surely won't hold up for eternity. Y'all get where I'm coming from? It's playing a dirty game. But Jesus, He shows us when the heat is on, we go to the Father, right? Let me keep reading to you, because this thing just gets juicy or whatever, right? And verse eight says this: It says, although He was a son. He learned obedience through what he suffered. I read that and I said, man, I said, hold on. Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. What does it mean when it says he learned obedience? Let me give you a quick scenario, right? Let's say you're a professional baseball player, whatever, right? You're out there doing your thing and I roll up on you and you meet me or whatever. I say, yo, man, check this out. I say, yo, I, I have a perfect score, like, Perfect score in baseball. Nobody does whatever. I've never been struck out. I've never missed a fly ball. Um, none of that. Nobody's ever even scored a point. Nobody can even get to first base on me. Nobody ever has. And you might say, really? That's crazy. I ain't never heard nothing like that. Like, yo, where'd you play ball at? And I'm like, yo, I ain't never played ball. And you're like, well, but you say you had a perfect score. Yeah, I do. I've never been struck out. Yeah, you've never been struck out, but you've never played baseball, though, right? So in a way, I'm telling the truth. I, I am telling the truth. I have never been struck out, but I've never played the game, though. This is what this text is saying, right? This is what is happening in this verse right here, whatever. It says, although he was a son, he's the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What that's saying is this right here. Jesus had never played the game of flesh right so he steps in the game 
Satan pitches every temptation, every curveball, every changeup, every fastball, every knuckleball, everything he can do to try to strike Jesus out. And Jesus knocks it out the park every single time. His obedience came as he was being tested, was being made perfect. He was learning obedience, right? He's in the game now. So now when he walks away from the game, they go, holy, holy, holy. You are perfect. You're flawless. You understand? Even the dogs know you ain't barking. Get at me, dog. Rejoicing. He know what it is. It's just that good stuff. So Jesus, he learned his obedience through what he suffered in his flesh, right? And in verse 9 through 10 says this, and I'll start to bring this to a close. It says, and being made perfect, because as he played that game, he was now being made perfect. He was already perfect, but he was showing and proving that he was made perfect in this game of the flesh. Satan could not strike him out with no temptation, no nothing. He heaped suffering on Jesus. The Bible says he even was sweating blood at a certain point in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, 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 he understands when the heat is on in ways we can't even comprehend. But he never struck out. He was being made perfect. It says he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The perfect lamb of God. Wonderful counselor, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. We call him this because he played the game and he, and he never struck out. He won it all. He made a way for us to be saved. He made a way for us who are disconnected from the Father to now be connected and have an intimate relationship and also the promise of eternal salvation to all of us who follow and are led by the Holy Spirit who obey Him. When He says obey Him, right? I just want you to know whatever, because some people are like, oh my God, the thing I need to go do right now is go work real hard and I need to make sure I obey because if I ever make a mistake and don't do what God, what I think God wants me to do, then oh my, I've lost eternal salvation. That's not what this is actually saying to him, right? The Bible talks about practicing sin. There are people who actually have completely turned their ways, their, 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 their back to God and they are now practicers of sin and living lifestyles that are completely opposite of what God has called us to, to do. They're actually intentionally living in rebellion, right? Or they completely undermine the holiness of the scripture to make it fit what they actually want to do. Instead of, right, coming before God with their struggles and their sin. And I want you to, this is, I, I'm going to make an exclamation point on this verse right here by reading Hebrews 4.14. So when the enemy comes and starts trying to condemn you because you're like, oh, I'm not perfect or, or I did something wrong or whatever. Or you may have did something last night. You may be doing something now. I don't know. You may have some plan to do. Like, I don't know what you got going on. But let me just tell you how, 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 how Jesus looks at this thing. Hebrews 4.14 says this. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest, listen now, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect 
has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and, and help, grace to help in the time of need. So check this out. Let me break this down for you real quick. What this scripture is saying is that Jesus, because he actually has been tempted in every respect in the same way we are, it says he actually is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So he's not the father going, oh, you ain't hitting everything perfect or whatever. You ain't a child of mine no more. He's the father. He's the father that's standing there rooting for you. Even when you stumble, the Bible says his mercies are made new each morning, right? It's like the prodigal son. He went and he messed everything up. And he goes home thinking like, yo, at least, you know, I'm out here sleeping with the pigs. At least I can go home and be a, be a slave in my father's house. But when he gets there, the father's waiting with a, a diamond ring and a robe and greets him and lavishes him with love and splendor and a party. That's the kind of father we have. Not one who's waiting home with the belt, like, oh, you're going to get it. But the one who is just like the throne of grace is wide open. Every day it's open. The mercies made new every morning. You could have completely messed it up last night. And by the time the sun hits, the throne of grace is wide open 24-7. You get where I'm coming from? We got to know that and remember that. Because if we don't, you understand what I'm saying? Your minds will start playing trick on you. You understand what I'm saying? It'll start playing tricks on you. And verse 16 says, he says, So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So it means that you can actually take all of your junk, all of your sin, and maybe you can't tell somebody next to you, maybe you're too ashamed, but you can lug all of this junk straight to God and actually say, Lord, have mercy on me. His throne of grace is wide open for you. And it says, when we go to the throne of grace, it says, we will receive mercy. And not only that, for those who are suffering right now and going through really hard times in life, not only will you receive mercy in the middle of it, it goes, and you will find to help. You will find grace to help in the time of need. There's mercy and there's also help. There's resources connected to turning to God with prayer. And that's one of the reasons why this low down dirty enemy comes roaring in your ear when you're suffering because he wants to pull you away from mercy and he wants to pull you away from the father. And he also wants to pull you away from resources to help in the time of need. This is good news for the believer. I hope everybody listening today, listening today hears this and goes, my God, this is, this is powerful because it is. It's the word of God I'm preaching to you. It's not my word. I need this just as anybody I'm preaching to. I'm preaching it like this or whatever because this is good news. I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a hard time. People are dying around me, all kind of stuff. I got kids that are struggling with sickness, stuff I've never dealt before with in my life. It's exhausting. And I need clarity. I need to have a sober mind during this time because the enemy is forever like your homie. Satisfy yourself this way or deal with it this way. But God is like, bring those tears to me, Jay. Bring them this way. I got help in the time of need. I got grace. I got mercy. 
right? It's good news for the believer, for the children of God. And if you listen today and you don't know Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the throne of grace is open. I got to give you the invitation. Pack all your mess. I don't care what you did last summer. I don't care what you think is horrible, what you feel you can't even utter out loud. You can actually fall to your knees with prayer and go before the Father and you can actually call out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. In another text, there's a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisees in the temple and the Pharisee talks about how amazing he's like, I pay tithes, I do this, I do that. And he's like, you know, God, I, 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 you know, he's, he's running off his resume of how good he thinks he is. And Jesus is telling the story in the word of God. And the tax collector who's known as a scumbag in society, the tax collector comes in, he won't even go to the front. He won't even go to the altar, but he just beats on his chest before God and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that tax collector went home justified. God doesn't expect you to have a clean resume because he's the only one that can offer a clean resume. And he, he trades it in for your mess. So bring your mess to the throne room of grace. If you're in your home right now, I don't care if you're at your job, I don't care where, if you're in your car, I don't care where you're at, you can step into the throne room. You can step into the, to the throne of grace with confidence this morning and beat on your chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And remember that grace follows you all the days of your life. That mercy is made new every single morning, all right? It's Pastor Jay Harris, this is The Ville Church. Listen, we love y'all. Listen, you can go on our page, go to theville.church, to our website. You can check out more sermons that we have, find out a little bit about us. We're in the middle of reconfiguring, you know, re redoing some things on our website or whatever, so it'll be morphing as we go. But there you can find out what we have going on and learn more about us. If you're interested in contributing in kind of financial gift or anything like that, you can also go to the give drop down on our page. You're not required to do that. That doesn't make you know, more holy to do that. And we ain't begging nobody to do that. God is gonna take care of us. But if he's touched on your heart and you're like, I wanna give or I wanna pour into this ministry and the work that we do, then you can do it there, all right? So we just wanna make that convenient for you. Listen, I love y'all. Thank y'all so, so much for tuning in this morning, all right? Praise y'all have a blessed one this week. Peace.